Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by TBR by Book Riot. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for, or are you running out of time to shop at all? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes, which you can schedule to show up in your loved one's inbox on whatever day you like. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 94, and we're recording on December 10th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we're going to talk about our picks for our favorite books of the longest year of history, 2020. (laughs) Uh, It's so true. (laughs) This was the hardest year to pick favorites slash best ofs from, too, I felt like, anyway. Yeah, there were so many. Well, for me, there were so many books that came out, so many great books, and... I definitely did not read a lot of them because of this year, (laughs) but I was just, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to be doing a lot of catching up in 2021 is all I have to say about that. Sounds fair. Yeah, I just, I read a bunch of great books and then, but also my reading was very limited by what my brain could handle at any given point. So it was all over the place. So, you know, it's a, it is a subjective list as always. It is. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Before we get into our news, let's do a sponsor, which is the audiobook edition of Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. The Stormlight Archive saga continues in Rhythm of War, the eagerly awaited sequel to Brandon Sanderson's number one New York Times bestselling Oathbringer from an epic fantasy writer at the top of his game. And the audiobook is read by fan favorite and award-winning narrator pair Michael Kramer and Kate Redding. And uh, what is this about, you might ask? After forming a coalition of human resistance against the enemy invasion, Dalinar Colon and his Knights Radiant have spent a year fighting a protracted, brutal war. 
Neither side has gained an advantage, and the threat of a betrayal by Dalmar's crafty ally, Taravangian, looms over every strategic move. So this is epic fantasy, as you might have guessed. And again, it is the Stormlight Archive saga. It's the next book in that series, Rhythm of War, and we're talking about the audiobook edition. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right, news. There's actually a lot of news right now. I was surprised. I was expecting I it to be a really slow news week, but um, I had to pick and choose. Uh, so I guess the first thing I want to talk about, because it's directly related to our my best of picks, is that... Dun, dun, dun. The Poppy War series <laughs> is being developed for TV, which is not a sentence I thought I was going to be saying today. <laughs> but here we are. This was announced a couple days ago on Deadline. Uh, the article is by Peter White. And yeah, they're going to do it. The trilogy is complete. And um, the the novels by Rebecca F. Kwong uh, are going to be adapted for TV. Um, Peter Luo's Starlight Media has optioned the rights. And they were the backers of films including uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which is interesting. Um, this is obviously very different. Like that was like sort of like, you know, a glitzy, glammy sort of contemporary story. And this is like a very dark fantasy, historical, military epic situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like delighted. I'm delighted by this news. I I I can't even imagine how they're gonna have to do some of the special effects for some of the magic in this series and for some of the battle sequences. I just, but you know, TV has money these days, and I believe that it's possible. Judging from everything you have said about this series, I expect a very intense show. Yes, that's correct. So. <laughs> I'm really curious about how that's going to be. And this has sort of given me uh, yet another, I have. I feel like I have had like 20,000 incentives to read this series <laughs> so far, just hearing you talk about it and seeing it all over the place. But this is definitely just an additional incentive. So maybe as I'm catching up in 2021, I'll read these books so that I can uh, be all done with them by the time this comes out whenever. Yeah. I I think this is an interesting deal, too, because this is a debut series. Like, I think a lot of the big epic fantasy works we're seeing get brought to screens are from, like, very well-established names, right? We've got Tolkien, yeah. we've got George R. R. Martin, we've got Robert Jordan. Like, these folks are, like, you know, sort of canon uh, in fantasy in various ways. And to see a debut young author, especially an Asian woman, get this kind of deal is pretty freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And it does seem like lately there are a lot of books being snatched up really quickly for adaptation. And I'm wondering if some part of it Um, they don't say where this is going to be, but I wonder if like the streaming environment has made that easier. Like now it doesn't because they're not spending those, you know, big theatrical release dollars. Mm. Maybe they're more open to some lesser known voices. And I mean, in my mind, that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Because I love that a series like this is getting picked up and... 
I just hope to see more of the same coming out. I will say that my concern is that it's like you said, so many things are getting snapped up. How many of them will actually make it to screens Mm -hmm. is an open question. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have to wait and see. But... Uh, I hope she got a bunch of money <laughs> in the meantime. Yes. <laughs> and may the efforts to bring that to screen succeed. Yes, get that coin. Mm-hmm. And in the same vein, talking about things getting snapped up for adaptation, and also one of the books I really wanted to get to this year and did not. Mm. We got news. Uh, Joe Otterson from Variety reported on Skydance TV being set to develop P. Jelly Clark's novella Ring Shout, which is really exciting because just the premise of this story sounded really interesting. It was definitely one of those books where... I was like, I have to be ready to read this book. Mm. I have to sort of brace myself. Uh, But it sounds so, as you might imagine, if you've read anything by P. Jelly Clark, it's very imaginative, really interesting ideas. So this is a story about the KKK and D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, which was this racist propaganda film and how this film ended up uh, swelling the clan's ranks and then their monsters because this is a fantasy or a science fiction book and so there are monsters and they are getting their powers from racism and there's all sorts of terrible stuff happening but then there's this young black woman Maurice Boudreau and her friends and their resistance fighters and they sound like really great Paige Ellie Clark is really great with side characters, mm-hmm. and these side characters sound like they're they're right in the same vein. Um, and so it's about these resistance fighters going up against the KKK, and it has lots of, you know, historical factual stuff behind the fantasy. And so it's going to be adapted as another television series, which is interesting because this is a novella. Again, it's not like a series like poppy wars but so that's going to be interesting to see how they expand the story and we also have news that kiki lane is attached to star in the project and cassie lemons is going to write direct and serve as showrunner and clark is also going to executive produce the series so that's always good news to me and yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I am definitely going to read this book very soon. I actually got it hoping that I could get to it before the end of the year, but uh, that did not happen. Uh, but I'm going to be reading it really soon because it sounds fantastic. And you might know Kiki Lane's name from starring in the old guard which i guess was a netflix action film but she was also on beale street could if beale street could talk which was a big thing a big adaptation again and also in 2019's native son so this is really exciting to me and this is another author who i'm glad is also getting those adaptation dollars and i hope that it actually comes to fruition yeah i loved old guard 
for the record. And I thought Kiki Lane was nice. fantastic in it. Um, and yeah, I, this this makes me hopeful because it is a, it's like, you know, it's for Skydance television. They've got a star mm-hmm. attached to it. Like that feels pretty concrete um, as much as yeah, any, you true. know, option situation is concrete. Like that's those are all good signs. Um so maybe we'll even get this one sooner rather than later. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's such good news for, for all involved, hopefully. Yes. Congrats. Uh, all right. Let's see. I we I touched I said Tolkien's name or I invoked Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> you did. So now we have to talk about some Tolkien news, and I'm going to combine two things because they're both pretty quick. Uh, the first is that y'all might have seen this making the rounds. There is a campaign to buy Tolkien's house uh, and turn it into a literary center. It's called Project Northmore. Um, there's a piece on Locus Mag uh, on the website that uh, sums it up and then links you to the full-on project. But the upshot of it is this: there's this house that Tolkien lived in uh, for about 17 years while he was a professor at Oxford University and where he wrote um, most of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And an author named Julia Golding has started this project. Uh, it's an open-sourced, you know, crowdfunded fundraising campaign to try to buy the house and turn it into a literary center. It needs to raise 4.5 million pounds to purchase and renovate the house. That's a lot of money. Um, a bunch of the Lord of Rings actors have backed the project, and there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on. They have a very lengthy explanation of like what exactly it is they're trying to do on the website. Um, is that clear to me how much money they've raised? I couldn't find where that would have been listed on the site, if anybody can point us to that. Mm. So I, I have no idea how close they are to actually achieving their goals, um, but they actually, it's not one of those... You only pay if the project gets funded. It's one of those, we're keeping your money and here's what we're going to do with it if we don't buy the house situations, which is interesting. So, Hmm. yeah, (laughs) question mark? I don't know. Um, It's a thing you can check out if you're interested. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of potentially, I mean, I don't know if I would stay in this house because they're saying, oh, you know, you you can come stay in the house to see the goal they're aspiring toward and if you're you know an aspiring fantasy writer sign up for to stay for some days right. and write your first fantasy novel right. i mean i feel like i would have some weird lord of the rings nightmares yeah. in that house but <laughs> i would be like nervous that the ghost of tolkien was judging my writing like i don't know yeah right it. it seems like a little bit daunting but yeah. <laughs> Maybe I go there and have a high tea or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Certainly. a fantasy high tea if that <laughs> exists. <laughs> it should exist if it doesn't. Uh, it should. So, all right. So, so that's happening. But also, the uh, Lord of the Rings is, as we know, uh, becoming an Amazon TV series, right? And they just ab- mm-hmm. announced a bunch of new cast members, 20 more cast members, um, in addition to the ones already announced. And I honestly don't know most of these actors. I'm not familiar Me with neither. their work. Um, but uh, when I looked at this piece um, from Black Girl Nerds uh, that was reported by their staff uh, 
login, it it's it is so clear from the pictures that there are so many beautiful black and brown faces uh, among this cast, which gives me all of the like warm fuzzies for you know in my hopes for a diverse Lord of the Rings uh, visualization. Yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised. I kind of forgot about this news because <laughs> I feel like there was a point, there was a moment, it was almost like I couldn't tell apart the news about like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. spinoffs and then Lord of the, because all of that news was coming out at the same time. Yep. And I got them so confused in my head. I was like, oh yeah, this is happening. And <laughs> I guess it is still happening. So that's interesting. And yeah, I agree that when... I saw these unfamiliar but wonderful faces. I I definitely got that sense because I think, you know, Lord of the Rings is this big franchise and it's this big name and we all know of it. Like it has a very specific look about it and it is very white. And so I think that this is going to be a really great addition to that franchise and I'm really excited to see what the story is about and how it develops over time yeah same same very fun news uh and my last thing is also very short because this is more of an experiential thing than something I can like describe at length and wouldn't want to because I want you all to go to this site so the Los Angeles Times has this really cool page that's the literary life of Octavia E. Butler. And it's about how local libraries have shaped the author, which we all, you know, know and love. And this is by Aida Elanen and Casey Miller. And this actually came out in mid-November and I kind of missed it. So I just wanted to bring this to everybody's attention in case you did too, but it's this really cool interactive map of the sort of LA County area because that's where Octavia Butler is from. And she spent a lot of her life, most of her life, I believe, in Pasadena in that area of LA. And so this interactive map has you scrolling down to learn more about Octavia Butler and her life and her relationship with libraries and how that shaped her writing. And as you scroll down, it takes you to specific regions on the map that are associated with the little card that tells you more about specific points in her life. And I just, not only do I get like sort of nostalgic feels because I used to live in LA and very much grew up around the Pasadena area in Eagle Rock. Um, And so I got all sorts of feels from this and it's just a really cool way to tell somebody's story. And Octavia Butler is so front of mind this year because, you know, her (laughs) books were very prophetic in a sort of frightening way about some things we're experiencing this year. So if you are a fan of Octavia of Octavia Butler or want to learn more about her and her life and, you know, things that inspired her, I would definitely recommend you check out this site and experience it for yourself because it's just like sort of a fun 
break from the day. It's very nerdy. <laughs> it is. I love it so much. I had also missed this. I didn't see it until you posted it. So I am so glad you yeah. did. And I love a good map experience. And it is very, <laughs> it is kind of interactive. And like, there's great photos from um, Butler's archives. And ugh, I just, I was dying over it. There's, they have a couple shots of her library cards and like books that she took yeah. out. It's really neat. It is really neat. So, yeah, highly recommend. It's very, yeah, book nerds and cartography nerds yes. will be interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we start talking about our best books of the year, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is Read Harder 2021. Very exciting. I know everybody was waiting and asking us when we would release this list. So, Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read a romance by a trans or non-binary author, nonfiction about anti-racism, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. It's a fun one next year, and I hope everybody participates. All right, let's talk about some best books. And it looks like I am up first. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited to talk about this one. It was definitely everywhere and everybody was reading it. So I'm, I don't think I'm alone in loving Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And I have just been really enjoying the influx of gothic lit recently that I've noticed going mm. around. So Mexican Gothic was actually, I think it was my first read in the vein of gothic fiction. And I've been reading a lot of it since, <laughs> strangely. And it was just such a wonderful read. So the story is set in 1950s Mexico. And most of the story takes place in the Mexican countryside in this English style manner called High Place, very gothic -y name. And that's where Noemi Taboada is sent by her father because she has to check in on her cousin, Catalina. And Catalina sent her family this really concerning letter that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. So it raises some red flags. And while Noemi is this really fun-loving, light-hearted socialite with very modern inclinations and this sort of like devil-may-care attitude. Her cousin is this romantic who married the eldest son of the High Place brood, which are the Doyles. And so Noemi arrives at High Place and she notices right away that things at the estate are not quite right. And for instance, Catalina is kept in a bed with this mysterious illness. And the Doyles also don't exactly welcome Noemi with open arms. Even like the house staff give her the cold shoulder. 
So she doesn't know what to make of the family, but then there's this seed of doubt about their treatment of Catalina that gets planted. And Noemi ends up doing some sleuthing around the mansion and also in the village below where certain people have certain thoughts about this English family and also its patriarch and the family's long history with the region as transplants. So this is like a really suspenseful read that's true to the spirit of gothic horror and full of really fantastical, if not gruesome, elements. There's this paranormal thing happening here and a mystery that seems to be locked within the house with clues all around this creepy estate. And there's that sort of dark, foggy atmosphere and those quietly chilling moments you expect and perhaps love from gothic horror. And just Noemi herself is a great character. I almost want to say she is a fun personality, but it seems sort of weird to say <laughs> that when I'm talking about this book that explores some really serious stuff like misogyny and patriarchy racism, exploitation, on and on and on. But she has these like amazing colorful outfits and she's always sweeping into the room like so. And she's got this really bright brash personality that gives this stark and welcome contrast to the this stifling, stiff, really oppressive mood of high plays. And she also has this daring and courage and her heart is in the right place. And she needs all of that and more to contend with the horrors that are going to unfurl during her stay at High Place. So this is a book that's full of really gruesome imagery. And there are trigger warnings for racism, attempted rape, incest, suicide is discussed, miscarriage and stillbirth, cannibalism and death of a child. So there's a lot it's a, it's a dark book is what I'm saying. And there's a lot of body horror, which I've mentioned before, which I, when I've talked about this book, it's very gothic, very horror, very good. I used to love gothic lit when I was younger and I'm thrilled to get back into it with books that are centering black and brown characters, which I definitely never came across way back when. So yeah, I've been talking about Mexican Gothic again by Silvia Moreno Garcia. I think that one, I'm so sad that I have such a problem with body horror. But so I, I after know. hearing you and Amanda talk about it, I, what I think I've just decided that I'm going to do is make one of you like tell me the story in your own words so that I can like it's know story time. the story, but I don't have to read it. Maybe that's what I'll do. <laughs> I would totally do that. Okay. Okay. That sounds fun. You're a good friend. You're a good friend. Uh, okay, let's see. So before I do my first fantasy pick, I want to give a quick shout out to Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, which would absolutely be on my full list of books I was talking about today if I hadn't just recommended it in our holiday picks show. So instead, I'm uh, using this to get in another space for another good book this year. But um, Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse was absolutely one of my favorite books of the year and I think one of the best fantasy books that came out this year so if it's not already on your radar like put it on there um okay but my pick that i'm going to talk about in full is the third book in the poppy war series which is called the burning god it is by rf kwang and i 
It's so it's going to be an interesting experience talking about this book because it's the third book in a series. I can't tell you any mm-hmm. plot details because everything mm-hmm. is a spoiler. So I how will I do this instead? What I will say instead is I'll tell you a little bit about the series as a whole and then I will talk about what it's like to finish this series. So so this series follows a young woman named Rin who is uh, like grows up. She's an orphan. She grows up in a household where her foster parents are pretty abusive. Um, she nobody's in her corner, and she like she studies really hard and she gets herself into this very elite uh, military academy. And she thinks this is going to like solve her problems, but instead she just gets new ones, including that she turns out to have some powers that are very hard to control. And then war breaks out, and she of course is going to a military. Academy, so she gets drafted into the war, and her life quickly becomes, you know, very dark and hard. And she has to make choices about how to use her powers, and some of those choices are objectively bad choices, <laughs> but subjectively, you're like with Rin on this journey, and so you are understanding why she's making the choices that she is, and so. The book has been dark from the get-go. Like, this is dark military fantasy with, you know, set in a a historical world that's inspired by um, China, among other things. And it is... You know, it's such a lush world. There's, it's so lived in. And it's kind of grimy in certain places, and it's shiny in others. And you know, Kwong has done such an amazing job of giving us this world and these characters. And man, did the characters just like dig their way into my heart? Even though, even though, you just <laughs> like want to throw the book when you see them making some of these choices. Like I also, I, I was kind of, especially because this year was so hard in so many ways. I was like, can I read a book this, you know, grimdark in 2020? Like, I just don't know. But I picked it up anyway to find out, like, can I finish this series? Can I find out what happens next? And I I inhaled the book because I was so desperate to know what the ending was going to be. And while it was not the ending that I wanted, Mm. I do believe it was the ending that was earned and I like you need to have a tissue box handy for this series all the way through, all the way through, like start to finish, have a tissue box because it is just it's rough. It's rough and it's sad and it's tragic and it's really well done, which is like a weird bunch of words to say together. Um But yeah, like, I just can't believe she did it. I just can't believe she did. I can't believe she gave us this story in this way and like completed the trilogy and I think did it well. It's it's really an achievement for a debut author, no less. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, yeah, so I guess I'm I'm recommending this series to, you know, people who do love Grimdark, who love, you know, Game of Thrones and dark and twisty stories and, um, can handle a lot of triggers and violence in their reading 
and recommending it to people who do want to see like that like military sort of side of fantasy come to the fore. Um, if you love, you know, complex world building and worlds that are based on historical events in the real world, this is also an amazing series. But yeah, it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> I clearly have a lot of feelings about it. And that's my story. So The Burning God uh, it's Poppy War number three by R.F. Kuang. I do recommend the series with all of those understandings that it is going to wreck you. My heart is preemptively broken. Yeah, it really is. I'm just going to have to deal with it. Uh, yeah. I'm also going to have the challenge of the not first book in a series later on. But uh, before I get to that, I'm going to tell you about my next fantasy pick which was also one of my more recent reads, and wow. Okay, so the next book I want to talk about is 100% in my wheelhouse, and it's an absolute gem that's perfect for dark winter days, and it is The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. So, so good. I had actually purchased the audiobook for this, but then one of our fellow editors, Vanessa, ended up loaning me her physical arc. And this sort of became the first physical book I've read and made it through to the end in a really, really long time. And it felt so good to finally be able to get back to that. So that's why it solidified its place on this best of list. It's also just an amazing read. And yeah, it forced me to concentrate on the written word. So this was a page turner and the story takes place in this fictional town that goes by the name Bethel. And Bethel is a familiar place in that it feels very reminiscent of, you know, a Puritan village a la the Salem witch trials. Like those villages you have read about in books about witch interrogations and a certain part of U.S. history. So as you might have guessed from the title, witches are very much a part of Bethel and they're a part nobody wants any association with. And then comes Emmanuel, who's the daughter of a woman who somehow, some way, escapes the dark wood where everyone says Lilith and her brood dwell, and also whose whose last act in life was giving birth to Emmanuel. And right from the jump, you can tell Emmanuel is maybe not going to have it so easy. There is the feeling of a curse descended on her from the moment of her birth. And she does not have it easy for a lot of reasons, including the details of her birth and her mom's legacy, and also the fact that she's dark-skinned, like the shunned people on the outskirts who are black. And so Emmanuel knows she's different, and she also has this knowledge while she's trying to live by the prophet's law for her family and for her own safety. Because the consequences of straying from the flock are truly terrible. But then, you know, there are certain things Emmanuel can't deny. Like, there's this pull that she feels when she's near the woods. And there are questions she can't help but ask herself about 
who is and is not protected by the powers that be in Bethel. And then one book and one encounter ends up throwing Emmanuel's life into chaos and forcing her to finally look back and uncover the nature of her own existence as a means to save Bethel from a series of truly terrible curses. And this book had so much atmosphere and so much of that creep factor that I really love. It's a witchy book where the witches are truly terrifying, like nightmare creatures. So I will say word to the squeamish, this book is, it's another one that is blood and gore filled and it is explicitly violent. And there are also trigger warnings for sexual assault, pedophilia, death during childbirth, racism, sexism, and there is so much gaslighting. So this is very much in the vein of Mexican Gothic. And it's a fantastic fantasy with historical fiction feel to it. And the horrors of the story are, you know, about the dangers of being complicit in the atrocities committed by human beings as much as the horror is about these demonic forces that are on the attack. So I'd say like if you enjoy things that have the tone of like Arthur Miller's The Crucible, but you're looking for with witchy fiction with a historical feel that also centers black characters, there are also queer characters, and just generally has a more diverse set of characters who needless to say face intolerance and prejudice in this community and this world, I would highly recommend this book. And it's also a great read for anybody who loves their fantasy extra grimdark and if you love horror. So yeah. And it's also great for breaking a reading slump, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I've been talking about The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. All right. My next fantasy pick is Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. And I, this is a novella that I read. It came out in the fall, September, which feels like a thousand years ago. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and I read it and I loved it so much. And then I kind of forgot that it existed. And then I was going back through my reading log for, you know, thinking about this. And I was like, oh, that's the book. Um, but I have an accidental burning theme. I don't know why. This is just what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I know. So this novella, uh, Oh, I will say um, trigger warnings for animal death and child abuse um, and the animal death part I am going to have to talk about a little bit. So the uh, the two main characters of this like sort of fractured fairy tale with a thousand million twists, um, the two main characters are Rosa, who is like Red Riding Hood from European folklore, and Ho Yi, the archer from Chinese mythology. And the two of them are, like, older women who have some rough stuff in their pasts, and they're currently traveling together just as, like, a matter of convenience. And they've teamed up to stop these uh, creatures called the sunbirds, who are, like, lighting things on fire because they are birds made out of flame. Uh, <laughs> they're ravaging the countryside, and these two have been hired to, like, stop it. And the reason they've been hired is in part because Rosa has made sort of a name for herself as a killer of 
mythical creatures, but it's not something that she's proud of. She grew up in a very abusive household and a very prejudiced one. And her mother was constantly like spouting all of these opinions about creatures, a lot of whom were like were creatures, like people who could, you know, they were human some of the time and animals some of the other time. And she considered them unnatural. And she like, you know, sort of programmed Rosa with all of this prejudice. And so but Rosa, like after sort of feeding into that and making a name for herself as a hunter of these beings starts to realize that like maybe she is wrong like maybe her mother is wrong maybe she's done some horrible things and so she's you know struggling with that part of her past along with some other things that I won't say because spoilers and then Mm Hoi you find out also has like some very complicated family stuff in her past of a different nature and this is really a story about figuring out how to deal with your family baggage. Like it really, but with like fantasy and adventure and, you know, uh, fairy tales woven into it. So it's, it's really well done. The characters are so relatable, even as you are just like, ooh, that's like, that's rough. Like, ooh. Um, and and their adventure is so heartwarming and like sort of triumphant at the end. It just made me feel good. And it was really nice in 2020 to read that kind of arc where it's like, yeah, there are some bad things that have happened and we are scarred and traumatized by them. But we're trying to move forward and we're not always going to get it right. But like we're going to keep trying until we do figure something out. Like that's the vibe of this novella. And it was so welcome to me. Plus, on top of it, like I've talked about S.L. Huang before. She's such a good writer. She writes action so well. Um, I just have loved everything I've read from her. So I was really delighted to add this to my shelf of novellas. So again, that's Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. Excellent. Well, my next book is one I've talked about a few times and for good reason. This is one of my sci-fi picks. And it's Riot Baby by Tochi Onyebuchi. And ultimately, I could not leave this one off the list because what a book and what a timely book. So the story starts in South Central and it's happening. The story begins right as the LA riots are are also happening. And then the setting moves to Harlem where this family of Ella and her little brother Kev and their single mom move after Kev is born during the riot. So it's this very frantic, very intense scene of his birth. And Ella's not your usual kid. She has this gift and also a curse of being able to kind of foresee violence in the black community and she has this really jarring first sight experience and from then on it's downhill because you know no no kid can handle that burden and so we see how Ella's power shapes her and also how it's capable of controlling her in some really terrifying ways that endanger some members of her family and then we also see Kev's story which is that all too familiar story of you know, the school-to-prison pipeline and of a kid growing up the victim of systemic racism and also in this family that's struggling to make ends meet. And he's also a kid who's harassed by the police for, you know, the crime of existing as a Black person. So 
Ella and Kev's lives, of course, are intertwined. They're siblings, but also the circumstances of Kev's life and also the trajectory of his life have this power to influence Ella in a big way while she's considering and weighing the worthiness of the world we live in. And so through her, we see how brutal the world is and can be to Black people. And then there's also this looming, ominous question of what should be raised and what should be saved. So it's really chilling. And even though there's obviously this sort of, you know, super powered, dystopian, sci-fi aspect of the book, it really hits home and really speaks to current realities. And, you know, there's a part of me that almost wants to read it now again. I ended up reading it late last year. It was an arc when I read it. And I almost kind of forgot that it came out this year, but it did (laughs) the first month of the year. So I was like, wait, that can't be right. But yes, Uh, but that was a million years ago. And it was, you know, before the Floyd protests and so many of the conversations we've been hearing about anti-racist reading. So... I think if you enjoy darker stories of people with superhuman powers or if you're looking for speculative fiction for for your anti-racist reading list or if you just want to read something really different and powerful and deep, you should definitely pick this up. And again, that was Riot Baby by Tochi Onyebuchi. I feel like this was such a good year for books that take on these big questions, you know, like the poppy war is all about like power and how do you use it and, you know, what does it do to you? And then we've got all of these amazing works of, you know, anti-racism and and like, you know, feminism and just all of these big, big things. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like it was sort of like foretelling books like this come out all the time. But there are so many that are just like, wow, it's like they knew what was ahead. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, Okay, on a slightly lighter note, but still awesome, I am doing another thing where I recommend a sequel, but it's Prime Deceptions by Valerie Valdez, which is the second in the Chilling Effect series. And y'all, like, the Chilling Effect got so much love, deservedly, and I just haven't seen that many folks talking about Prime Deceptions. And book number twos can be, you know, it's hard to get uh, press for them sometimes because it is a sequel and it's not the same as a shiny, you know, first in a series or a standalone. But I loved this book and not for nothing a lot of what I read this year I was looking for like good heartwarming relatable character stories that were like not gonna leave me wrecked on the shore of my soul (laughs) and that's what this is it's so good it is the further adventures of the crew of La Serena Negra um, and their psychic cats there are still psychic kittens in this book which is wonderful And yeah, I I love Captain Eva Innocente. I love how 
She is just such a brash, like, take no prisoners, maybe speaks a little too frankly a lot of the time to the people she's supposed to be, you know, making nice with. Um, She's just a really fun character. And in this one, the crew is trying to locate a missing scientist. And without telling you too many specific details, there is this really hilarious moment that is 100% an ode to Pokemon in here for the record. (laughs) It's so good. Um, They have all kinds of adventures in all kinds of different environments and on different planets and with different species. And I just, I love this series. It is such a joy to read. And I was really excited about this second installment and it did not let me down. It is just as much fun as the first one. So this is your reminder that both of these books should be on your reading list if they haven't been already. And again, book number two is Prime Deceptions. Uh, The first one is Chilling Effect, and that's by Valerie Valdez. Did not expect the Pokemon. I know. It starts to show up and you're like, wait, is this what I think it is? And then you're like, yeah, this is 100% a love letter to Pokemon, this section right here. I love, you know, it's one of the things I noticed in the first one, too, is that Valdez does weave in a lot of, like, pop culture references here and there. Like, totally. there's, there's such nerdy glee in these books. And those are, like, little Easter eggs for, you know, if it happens that you share those references, you will be so delighted when they pop up. That's so fun. Yeah. Well, my next pick is also a fun one. Uh, This is my sci-fi pick and my last pick. It's a really disorienting journey, but it has a really great payoff that's both satisfying and also scream-inducing. You're just right. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I can't, I can't. So this is another one that's a, it's a second book in the series. I'm sorry. But I finally read Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And I, it was so unexpected. And I am also going to try to talk about this book without spoiling it because it's disorienting in one way, but you also have to have read the first book. And this is the second book in the Locked Tomb series. And I'm also kind of bragging because I finally continued a series because I'm really bad at that. Yay! I'm very excited. So I will say that word to the wise about this book, I well and truly had no idea what was going on for a good (laughs) chunk of the reading experience. So my frame of mind was basically like, wait, what? And then I was like, hmm. And then I was like, well, maybe... And then I got well and fully sorted out and had a big smile on my face. So this is just me telling you to stick with it if you experience the same, if you read Gideon and you're like, what's happening? So I'm not going to tell you much more than that this book follows Harrow, who's one of the main characters from the first book, Gideon the Ninth, and that this story takes place on a spaceship. And the series as a whole is set in this science fictional universe where these nine houses rule on nine planets. And this is a world of necromantic nuns under the greater rulership of the emperor of the nine houses, who in the first book calls representatives of each house and their cavaliers 
to engage in what becomes this brutal contest for lictorhood. And it's this high stakes competition that ends up turning the story into this mystery where every house member is a suspect of murder and of all sorts of terrible acts. And so Harrow the Ninth introduces some new characters, but there are also some familiar ones that appear as well. And the thing about this series is that it is absolutely wild. Like, I have read very few books that are this out there. <laughs> and just from top to bottom, the storytelling is like pure irreverence. And the humor is really, I guess, ribald is the word mm. that nobody uses anymore, but I'm going to use it here. And the series so far takes you into so many different dizzying directions but by some miracle deftly lands you right where you need to be and I did not know that I needed more stories about queer necromantic nuns in space and I'm really upset that I have to wait until 2022 <laughs> for the third book which is Electo the Ninth but also it's understandable because these books are really feats of writing and just keeping the threads of these storylines from tangling into one massive knot, I don't know how that happens. But if you haven't read Gideon the Ninth, go and do that now and then read Harrow because they're both fantastic. And I suppose if you want to wait for the third book before starting the series, fine. I will not bug you about it, but they're so good. So again, I've been talking about Harrow the Ninth, which is the second book in the Locked Tomb series. I will extremely co-sign everything you just said. I was really torn about not including it myself, so I'm so glad that you picked it. Um, also, I don't know if you can hear this, but one of my cats has invaded the recording closet and is demanding pets. So if you hear like some really intense purring in the background, <laughs> that's Lulu. She has. That's fine because my cat's screaming. The <laughs> They've made so their wishes known. Oh, now she's wandering off again. She's done with me. That's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. So, okay. So my last pick is my second science fiction pick. And this was the first book I put down uh, when we were building this agenda because I didn't want Sharifa to steal it. <laughs> I know. I know. I definitely said curses aloud <laughs> so but i'm so glad you're talking about it yeah it's space between worlds by micaiah johnson which is oh man this was the only book i read in a single sitting in all of 2020 and that is the truth like it is just wow. it was the only one i don't know it was some kind of alchemical moment that you know the combination of the timing and like whatever brain space i was in happened to be the right moment for me to pick this book up and just devour it and it is a really innovative time travel novel I'm going to give the trigger warnings now because it does go to some pretty dark places. It uh, includes intimate partner violence, harm to children, and addiction. And the sort of way that time travel works in this world is that you can travel between the multiverse, you know, timelines 
as long as there's not another version of you there. So like if you just never got born or if you died already or whatever, events conspired to mean that you just don't exist. The other version of you doesn't exist in that world. You can go there. But more often than not, they have found that like, you know, a lot of people do have overlap with these many other timelines. And so being somebody who can travel to a bunch of different timelines is a very in-demand skill. Skill, that's a weird thing to call it. But, you know, <laughs> trait, I guess, is maybe the better word. Um, and so our main character, Kara, who comes from a very impoverished and uh, rough background, most of her other selves actually did not make it to adulthood. So she can go to a lot of different parallel uh, timelines without any issues. So she's in high demand by this company that runs all of the time travel whatnotery. And she is like, she doesn't know how exactly it works. She doesn't care. Her job is to go where they tell her to go, do what they tell her to do, come back, get paid, like have a better life than she did growing up because this job allows her to live in like this, you know, giant city that's all in one enormous building. And, you know, she can actually afford her own apartment, even if it's tiny. And, you know, she's like got some security in her life. Um, She's kind of sort of still in touch with her family kind of not it's hashtag it's complicated um and she's having like weird interpersonal issues with her co-worker who is like you know the handler um who sends her off on her different missions uh who is kind of like an icy you know woman from an upper class background and they're having some you know flirtations like but they're awkward and maybe not it's it's a weird it's a weird relationship um And the, you know, events of this story start to unfold when Kara gets sent on a mission that she shouldn't have been and she starts to find out some things that tell her that the system is not as pure or as safe as she has previously believed and that she maybe just like she can't just keep going along with the flow. She has to start to make some decisions of her own about what she believes in and what she's willing to do. She also ends up having to confront some very painful moments and persons from her own past. And you find out some of her secrets. And it is such an absorbing story. The characters are so well drawn. I thought the pacing was great. I mean, obviously, I read it in one sitting, so it just kept me turning the pages. I loved the ending. I loved the big reveals, of which there are multiple. Like, I just loved everything about this book. I loved everything about it. And I think that it is also a debut, which is bonkers, like, hello. Um, So many great authors coming onto the scene. And I just can't wait to see what else Micaiah Johnson publishes, because this is such a strong first novel. So if you're looking for a new take on time travel, if you're looking for great characters, if you're looking for a really gripping story and some thoughtful, you know, delving into how our... Uh, backgrounds and, you know, our circumstances can influence the kind of science that produces time travel. Like this is 100% a must read. So again, that's The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. Cosine, cosine, cosine. (laughs) A million times. Well, that's it for our picks of 
for best books of the year and this is our last full episode of 2020 how did that happen i know thank thanks to everybody for joining us for another fun fantastic science fictional fantastical year SFF Yeah is sound edited by DR Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. And yeah, again, thank you for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. I know we will be interested in hearing about what you want us to discuss next year. Uh, And you can also review us on Apple Podcasts if you have a minute. It really helps people find us. And you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I A M J E N N I R L. And you can also find me on Instagram at S I N A B Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. Until next year. Bye.